Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh shit, man. <laughs> How often do you reckon people would try that Crypt Keeper laugh to John Cassie's face? I reckon he must cop it all the time. <laughs> That's what you do when you line up for an autograph with someone. <laughs> and then you get there and you, you know, to show them how, how much of a fan you are, you do a really shit impression of them <laughs> through their face. <laughs> well, you can rest easy knowing that I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a good chance he's going to hear what we're doing today and uh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so for the past few weeks on the show, Ben, um, we've been easing ourselves into Halloween. It's, it's not a holiday that's celebrated much in Australia like it is in North America or Europe for that matter, uh, but its popularity is growing and, and perhaps, um, perhaps our generation, I reckon, was the first to kind of embrace it a little bit. Did you celebrate it as a kid? No, I always, I was always super disappointed that we didn't do trick or treating or anything like, like that. Was like totally a non-event when I was like, I don't remember anyone doing it, and I always wanted to. Like, I used to love watching that the Garfield Halloween special, <laughs> yeah. and you know, watching. You know, oh, why can't we go to trick or treating or um, you know, ET or any of that sort of stuff? Like, we never got to do any of it. We grew up with it on our screen, yeah. so we knew about it, but we didn't you know, celebrate it. But I, I feel like we were the first generation to actually go out there in costumes, even though there was only maybe two or three groups of kids on the street or in the neighbourhood, yeah. and the neighbours were like, what the fuck are you? <laughs> well, not... you still get that. You still, even now, you still get parents going, oh, we're not doing that. That's an American thing. This is Australia, mate. <laughs> it's actually European. But Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's steeped in both. Both Halloweens in Europe and America have different kind of origins. So we, we are getting behind it slowly but surely. But here on the show, we're getting behind it. 100%. <laughs> and so maybe I should get the formalities out of the way before we, we really get into it. This is Good Movie Monday. Welcome. Uh, we are the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I intend to bomb you with bad jokes today. And uh, the other guy who will be here to bear the brunt of it... <laughs> Ben Helwig, human joke cushion. Hey, mate, how are you? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> A little sore. Did you know that um, COVID-19 is more prevalent and contagious in graveyards? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's because of all the coffin. <laughs> Sorry, I think my dad just entered the room. <laughs> Hey, it's great to be back at the desk, man. It really is. Lockdown is over and we're back in person and this is exciting, but it's a bit weird. <laughs> a bit uncomfortable <laughs> with. <laughs> I haven't been this close to another person in uh, three months. <laughs> I have, but they're family. Yeah. <laughs> they don't count. No, I haven't been this close with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we're spooning right now for the people who can't see us. <laughs> we should video <laughs> podcast that one. <laughs> 
that funny? We just do it. We've, all, we've both got lapel mics on and we spoon for the show. <laughs> so, Halloween. A few weeks ago, we did a show about kid-friendly movies and then we did a show about killer toy movies. And now Halloween has finally arrived and we have quite possibly the greatest Halloween guest I can possibly hope for. And we're going to explore some anthology horror movies in the meantime. So, I'm looking forward to this, Ben. Hope you are too. <laughs> hope everybody listening is. As I mentioned in the intro, our guest is John Cassier, the Crypt Keeper himself, um, from what I would say is arguably the greatest anthology television show of all time. Mm. I, don't know. I don't know if you would agree. No, well, I mean, there's, there's, you know, when you're comparing it to things like Twilight Zone and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that, but this is definitely the most fun. Yes, there you go. That's what we'll put it down to. The yeah. most fun. And this show, in turn, um, gave us a kids' animated series. It gave us a kids' TV game show. And then it spawned three feature films. Mm. Like, two of them stone-cold classics. And um, we're going to talk about them in a little bit. I should say that, out of respect for John, I'm going to refrain from any uh, horror-related puns. <laughs> i got the bad jokes, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on the puns. Hold on the, on the puns? Yes. Um... <laughs> I mean, you don't you don't tempt brushstrokes in front of Picasso, <laughs> and you don't like you don't chuck doughies in front of Nick Giannopoulos. <laughs> Walkboy Three is coming out, mate. I spoke about that with Chloe the other day. Jesus, I can't I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. And then before just before it comes out, going back through the Nick Giannopoulos filmography, just so I can prepare myself. From all those wog jokes from 1982. <laughs> Which I think maybe have been the last time I heard someone other than Nick Giannopoulos use the word wog. <laughs> Was it Mary, Mary Custis? Or or? Mary, Mary Custis, yeah. <laughs> In an episode of Skirts. <laughs> we have a rad show for everybody today. And uh, to help us get into the Halloween spirit... I just fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've got the gang back together. In a few minutes, you're going to hear from Jared Garn um, with all you need to know about what's been released onto uh, physical media this week. Guillermo Troncoso will have all the movie news directly from Screen Realm. Chloe Ritchie from Movie Night with the Ritchie Girls podcast will be reacting to a Halloween favourite that she's watched for the first time. Adam Ross from Triple M will be giving you his own personal Halloween recommendation. And our friends from Kentucky, Joe, Chad and James from the Bonehead Weekly podcast will throw an assortment of suggestions your way also. It's going to be heaps of fun, so... Stay right where you are as we kick things off. I tell you, ladies and germs, that ghoul friend of mine makes me so crazy. She told me she thought she'd look good in something long and flowing. So I threw her in the Mississippi. Hey, Ben, what did the vampire say to the teacher? I don't know, Glenn. What did the vampire say to the teacher? See you next period. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early in the morning <laughs> for menstruation jokes. <laughs> so real quick before we go any further, uh, Monster Fest. Yes. Um, some people listening might not know that you actually do work for Monster Pictures and Monster Fest. Um, so that kind of adds a bit of context to why we talk about it all the time. Uh, the program's been revealed last week. Yes, that's right. Last Thursday, we uh, announced the full slab bar one secret film. Was that a horror pun? Slab. No, no. I, well, we agreed no puns. <laughs> I know, but I've already fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so tickets are on sale now. They certainly are. I think uh, we've already sold out. Is this, uh, sold out of a film on a film. That being said, at the moment, 
we're operating under kind of strict COVID guidelines about capacity. Now that will change the closer we get to the December second uh, opening night date. So therefore, tickets may drip feed. Yeah, yep. Will okay. it be increasing as I think at the moment because I think it starts off with like twenty five percent capacity, and then yep. once we get to the eighty percent mark, it'll go up to fifty or whatever, or seventy five or whatever the um the new restrict the new guidelines uh, suggest. It's just we we're playing it cautious. We don't want to oversell. Mm too soon it's a great lineup and i'm excited everybody should check out the website and look at the program buy some tickets but i'm particularly excited about the documentary about the tunnel i had no idea that was a thing yeah look they're still believe it or not they are still furiously shooting interviews for that it's going to be down to the line with that one but it is i can't wait i love the tunnel i think that's an incredible i've got the blu-ray and it's something that i the prize possession i just absolutely adore that film and that was one of those first real crowdfunding kind of films where everybody got a slice of the pie kind of thing yeah Cool. Well, Monster Fest, check it out. But let's talk about Tales from the Crypt movies for a moment before we lead into the anthology chat. The first movie that spun from the TV series was Demon Knight, and I think we both agree that's a bit of a rock and roll cult classic. It's a classic. I haven't actually watched it in quite a while, but um, I remember absolutely loving it, it when, caught, I, when I first watched it. It caught me off guard completely when it came out because it was really original and chaotic. Yeah. My first memory of this one, though, before I even saw it, was David and Margaret reviewing it on the movie show on <laughs> SBS. And for them to both say, you know, to sort of an extent that it is a rock and roll movie and this is, you know, four and a half stars. I'm yeah. like, hang on, David, Margaret, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, four and a half stars? They, they actually... They adored they, it. The thing was, I, when I first watched it, I wasn't too familiar with the whole Tales of the Crypt thing. Like, mm. I knew the EC comics. Yeah, but I didn't know really about the TV series or anything. so I was like, "Who the fuck is this Crypt Keeper guy?" And what's go- like? And I just like for me, it was just like, "Oh, Jada Pinkett movie," because I really liked Low Down Dirty Shame. <laughs> and I'm like, "Now watch this and Billy Zane and you know and and it was Ned from Ned and Stacy was in it or <laughs> that's right was it yeah it's Ned awesome. and Stacy yeah. that's right yeah. <laughs> I think at the time that was the Hayden, first was one. Was it Christian Hayden Thompson or uh, I can't remember his name? The guy from um, Sideways. Thomas Hayden Church? That's it. Something yeah, I, think I reckon it? that's yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, the guy from, yeah, now he's the guy from Sideways. <laughs> he wasn't which then. He wasn't then. <laughs> he was the guy from Ned and Stacey. Yes, and um, Charles Fleischer, one of my favourites. Yeah. Fleischer's universe. Look it up, everybody. It's fantastic. But there's a there's a bit of a history between um, Demon Knight. So before it became a Tales from the Crypt movie, Tom Holland had originally planned to direct it because it was a script that had been going around town. Um, it was going to be his follow-up to Child's Play. And right. something went wrong there and he, he moved on to other work. But then Mary Lambert was going to pick it up. And unfortunately, Pet Cemetery 2 tanked. And therefore, right. the studio lost faith in her ability to deliver this. And um, finally, Charles Band had his mitts on it and it was going to be a full moon picture, which totally makes sense. Yeah. Wouldn't have been as good. Would have been fun though. I think there would have been more nudity in it. <laughs> I mean, you... considering it's pretty freaky, like there's like all that stuff. I think is is it Thomas Hayden Church? He's got like electrodes attached to his nipples and stuff. That's like there's right. a lot of <laughs> That's right. you know. Is it Brenda Back from um, <laughs> Hot Shots Part Deux? Well, it's essentially a fuck. It's pretty much a brothel. Like it's a it's a motel that looks more like a brothel. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the it's the it's the ho- it's the motel from Vacancy. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I would love to have seen Charles Bandit do a knockoff. Like, you know. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't actually. When it Same. proved to be a success. When it was a hit, why wouldn't he have done a couple of uh yeah. And and then of course their second film was Bordello of Blood, which, you know, did not live up to the expectations and it did bomb pretty hard, but I reckon that's a shame. I reckon that's a pretty cool movie. Well I think it was like I was expecting a lot because I used to um 
and like just just gone out of my head now. But I really liked um, what's his name uh, Miller. Oh, Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller. Yeah, I really always really liked Dennis Miller. I don't know if he if he worked out too well in that kind of leading man capacity because he's he's much better. I think he's much better as the best friend, like dishing out the sarcastic yes. comments, yep. rather than being the straight man lead. Yep. You know, and Eric Erlaniak, like there was it was during that period of time, <laughs> like I would have watched her like mow the lawn. <laughs> it was would have been this, you know. She could have, she could do no wrong. And of course, this was it was written by the two Bobs, Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis. You know, who were like Hollywood dynamite in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, that's right. So, like, you know, it had all the hallmarks of like you know legendary Hollywood. And it's a vampire brothel. Yeah, like what a like the setting is great. The title Every, is great. Everything is great. Bordello of Blood. It had a great cast. It had everything going for it, and it just didn't. <laughs> it's not even that it didn't deliver. It just wasn't as good as from all of that stuff you thought it was going to be. So it was a disappointment. I haven't watched this one in years either. I think if I went back to it, I'd be a lot more forgiving. Yeah. And probably enjoy it a lot more because I'm the expectations won't be there anymore. Well, just like um well, Chris Sarandon's in it too. Yeah, yes. that's right. And and your favorite uh your favorite midget, what's his face? Um <laughs> From the full moon? From yeah, from uh Foracundo or no, um oh, the guy that was in Blood Dolls last week. <laughs> Yeah, he's in he's in um, Demonic Toys versus uh, Doll Man. <laughs> I've forgotten his name, but that um, doesn't matter. Um, my little uh, my little story, another one of my Canadian stories for you, Ben, is I actually got to walk onto the set of Bordello of Blood. And really? It was the set, and believe it or not, this Phil was Fondacaro. Phil Fondacaro. Believe it or not, it was a soundstage. The um, the Bordello exterior where the cars park out the front. That's the set I got to walk onto. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was at um. Oh, what was the name Lionsgate Studios, which became Lionsgate Entertainment. I back- didn't know that was a st- you could go on that. I didn't. I thought I'd gone on all the studio tours. You couldn't go on a tour. Is that I was doing a little right. bit of like free sort of um, work experience, I guess right. you would say, on the X Files. You know, that's a right, little yeah. bit here and there, and I was able to sort of you know walk into the set of this. And right next door to where the Lionsgate Studios was is also a cinema complex. And I remember watching Bordello Blood on opening night right next to where I saw it, mate. Yeah, right. So weird. So <laughs> weird. But um, yeah. It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't take you out of the movie magic, having seen the set? No, it just made me fall in love with it. Like, I probably right. have a higher regard for it than a lot of people because of it. Um, but if you read up on Bordello Blood, it had such a troubled production and union disputes and that kind of stuff sort of interfered with it and kind of sort of dragged it in, in, through the mud. But Dennis Miller apparently was real hard work and apparently his schedule pissed off a lot of the crew in Vancouver because he just, everything had to be on his time, flying from LA yeah, right. to, to Vancouver and lots of rewrites and that kind of and stuff. You're like, and was he, was he a big enough name to justify all those hassles? Like, did he bring that, enough? It was that fleeting moment, I think, where he was peaking. Like, you know, he was... Threatening to be something big, and then yeah. it's kind of Bordello Blood happened. <laughs> How much better would it have been had it been Norm Macdonald? Oh yes! <laughs> How good would that be? Like that would have been amazing. Oh my god, the whores <laughs> <laughs> and oh. whores, yeah, <laughs> all the blood and, and the whores. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen so many horrors in my life. Lord knows I have. Hey, look, it's a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> and they could have put a Saigon whore in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they could have totally done it. <laughs> and yes, note to self: your whore is a whore. <laughs> and of course, there was a third movie called Ritual. Um, we won't go into that too much. Oh, I haven't seen it. I've never I seen it. I did. Um, I will be discussing that one with John in the interview coming up. So you know, stay tuned for that. There's a lot more to come as well. Let's take a breather and hand it over to Jarrett. 
Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, it's a big week for home entertainment. The shelves are awash with new and classic titles hitting home entertainment. So let's kick off with Sony, who are releasing Sam Raimi's Evil Dead on 4K UHD. It's true it has been available overseas for some time, but the fact that it is getting a local release is still good news regardless. Then moving on to Universal, they're releasing M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Now, I like this film, felt like an extended episode of The Twilight Zone, and I'm cool with that. It's true that M. Night's had some terrible films over the years. I mean, Lady in the Water and The Happening, god awful. But this, for me, that's eh, one of his better films. Now, the 4K UHD and Blu-ray do have special features. There's full featurettes and deleted scenes, and 4K enthusiasts, You'll be excited to hear that the 4K comes with Dolby Atmos. Then Universal have some classic titles making their way to 4K UHD this week also, including John Carpenter's The Thing, Brian De Palma's Carlito's Way, Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Then two other new release titles that are making their way to Blu-ray and DVD are Zone 414 with Guy Pearce. You may have heard him on the show last week having a chat with Glenn. Then In the Earth, the latest feature from Ben Wheatley on Blu-ray and DVD also. Then Studio Canal are releasing their new release, Gunpowder Milkshake, on Blu-ray and DVD. But they've got some classics making their way to Blu-ray also, including Joe Dante's The Howling with a new 4K restoration, The Servant with a new 4K restoration. Now, Studio Canal are still moving forward with a 4K release of The Howling. They've just bumped it to November for now. Then from Madman Entertainment, they've got a net hitting Blu-ray and DVD. And to round out this week's releases, there is a ton coming out from Imprint Films. They've got the Browning version, and this is a double pack that includes the 1951 and the 1993 version of the film. Reflection of Fear, Ned Kelly, The Assassination Bureau, a Harry Palmer collection box set, as well as a big screen British comedy box set too. So it is a big week for home entertainment this week, and personally, I can't wait to go and check out the latest releases in person, in store. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Well, there's always some good stuff coming out. I'm definitely picking up for Evil Dead and Howling and The Thing on 4K. Yes, <laughs> I've got The Thing. I've got the uh, the UK import of yep. The Thing and uh, all the other the Studio Canal mm. fat box set things. Yep. They're pretty cool. Howling, I think, is the uh, one I want to get behind. Yeah, yeah. I, I st like I've got I've got a couple of 4Ks. I do not have a 4K capable TV or a 4K <laughs> player, but I'm still uh, future proofing myself. <laughs> I was about to say it's a future proof, mate. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, Guy Pierce's Zone 414 is hitting uh, home entertainment. When we had Guy on the show last week, chatting all about that movie. So if you did miss that chat, go back to that show and have a listen. I reckon people should go back and listen to all of our shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else are you doing? I mean, I'm like yes. You can you can go out for drives now. What else are you doing on that drive? <laughs> Listening to Good Movie Monday. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's a Sunday or a Thursday or a Wednesday. Like we're there with you all the time. It's a good movie every day. That's right. <laughs> hey, somebody. Like Sesame Street. Somebody told me that you have a skeleton in your closet, mate. Do I? Well, judging from the smell, I don't think the bodies have fully decomposed yet. <laughs> that is true. People have mentioned that to me before. That was awful. Let's chat about horror anthology movies. <laughs> but rather than uh, regular format, like we usually go one each, let's just sort of have a free-flowing conversation, see where it goes. Let's do it. Um, I was like you. We had a conversation before we came to the mic about neither of us really thought we liked anthology movies very much, like horror anthologies anyway. And I've always thought that, and I've struggled with them because I struggle with short films. I don't like short films. 
I don't know. I can watch a four-hour film and love it, but short films that are ten minutes or you know fifteen, I can't. I haven't got patience for. Well, I, look, I I do like shorts. What I don't like is short film programs. Yeah, because you've got a great one and then you can have a shit one. Yep, and you're kind of stuck there watching stuff that you may not like. And and th- I find like anthology films are a bit different depending on how they're done. Like the really good ones are the ones that have the solid concept right at the start. Yep. They're not like, like it's not like they've come up with the short films and then come up with the idea, the wraparound where the wraparound is integral to the story. Yeah. It's really funny you say this because I was reading last week in preparation for this, um, something that Guillermo um, del Toro said, because he adapted the um, scary stories to tell in the dark into a movie, produced it. And that was a book of anthology stories. And someone asked him why he didn't do that as an anthology, because the movie is not, it's a, it's a straight movie. And he just said, well, anthology films are only as bad as the worst story in them. Yeah. And they're never as good as the best. Yeah. Which is exactly what you're saying. Um, having said that, there's, uh, there's some short film uh, programming at MonsterFest this year. <laughs> Get along. That is true, and I've seen a lot of these. I've seen a lot of the shorts, and the shorts are great. It's different. Um, I, I've been to a lot of the short film sessions at Monster Fest, including Dick Dale's Treasurama. Well, Treasurama is a whole is a whole different thing. Like, it there's, is. There's no such thing as a bad film in Treasurama. But I, all bad. I feel like but even like you program way. shorts in front of features, and then you have your actual short lineups, and they're just well programmed this time. I think you guys are conscious of that factor. Yeah. You know, that you're only as, as bad as the worst one. So you make sure that the worst one's good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, all right. We climbed out of that hole. Let's uh <laughs> Did we though? I feel like we're in I feel like we're in plan nine from outer space and I'm stuck in the hole and you're trying to help me out. Like I'm Tor- I'm Tor Johnson in this um, in Let's this metaphor. Move on. Um, I'm gonna start with the original Tales from the Crypt movie, nineteen seventy four. Yes. Um now this one stars Seventy four? Ralph- I thought it was seventy two. Maybe it's seventy two could be wrong it's early 70s and yeah. it starts ralph richardson as the original crypt keeper he's not a very good crypt keeper i thought i really like ralph richardson in it like but he's not like a he's not like the comedy kind of crypt keeper kind of he thing. just he's, didn't have any menace as far as i was concerned he's no he's got no real personality he's i mean it would have been better had it been the guy from the 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 gatekeeper from the Nightmare board game. If it was him, <laughs> yeah. as a you fool, you idiot, <laughs> or whatever. What was he? What was it? Uh, I can't believe you. I can't believe you're not dead yet. Oh, but even like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. But even that turn to the audience at the end, like, is it you? It's like, yeah. oh man, that's kind of tacky. But I think this film is fabulous. Like, I really do. Three of the films from this were adapted into the TV series. Yeah. Uh, so, um, All Through the House uh, being probably what most people cite as the best episode of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, which I, I really I really like. And I then did. I didn't realise, because I had seen that before I'd seen the, the Tales from the yep. Crypt movie, and I was watching that one. And as good as, as, good as Joan Collins is, like, I was actually surprised, because usually, like, Joan Collins... When you think of her now, she's almost like a, she's like the butt of a joke. Yeah, like she was like someone who was in her sixties, pretending like she was in her twenties. She was great once, but she's—I mean, she's like you know—I've seen that you know the Star Trek episodes that she was in and stuff like that. Yeah. She is actually really good when she's not playing a, a sex kitten, <laughs> which, like, which is almost like a caricature of herself. And she is great in this, mm. and it's it's actually quite hardcore. Like I didn't, re- and I don't remember this from the. The TV episode, but well, when the she... whole movie's hardcore. Let's just add that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, like much, much more hardcore than you kind of expect. Yep. Uh, it's almost as if this one wasn't made for kids. Yeah. 
But when she ki- when she when she bumps off her husband, mm. and the kid is just upstairs, like, <laughs> and co- constantly coming out to, to try and catch Santa Claus, yeah. And you're like, that's a, such a like, why is she taking that? That's a big chance that well, she's taking. A oh, big big chance. Um, what the, the two things that bother me about this that make the remake better? One, there's no Larry Drake. Like, let's yeah. put it out there. Like, he is incredible in the in the. The redo, yeah. But also, the, the blood is Hammer Horror seventy style blood, so it looks like fluoro goop. Yeah, which you, you kind of think was that just the way they graded it at the time, like you know, film grading then, true. And film grading now are different. So, but I also think it didn't matter if blood looked fake back then. I think we we're more susceptible to the the imagination, you know, yeah. of it back then, and and probably they had to do it so they could get away with a rating. Yeah, that's right. Um, that, would, that would have been their argument to the censors. Like, are you yeah. kidding? Look at that blood. But it's still good, and but story-wise, the funny funny thing about this particular segment is, she's found out that there is a psychotic Santa Claus on the loose, and she's just bumped off her husband. This is the perfect opportunity to get away with it, like yeah, say the maniac did it. But instead, she tries to lock him out, and then cover up the crime. That's the the weirdest part about the whole thing is like she bumps off her husband. Then she gets kind of attacked or she sees the Santa Claus outside. And forgets about it. And then she just goes back to like disposing <laughs> of the body. And you're like, you wouldn't you? I mean, I know you can't call leave, the cops, I suppose. Leave the door open. Get away with your daughter. Yeah. And maniac so, got him. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> so, therefore, it's not my favourite in the in the film. Yeah. Uh, I think my two favourites, definitely um, Poetic Justice with Peter Cushing is fantastic. It's like, I. it's weird because funnily enough, I don't like Peter Cushing in it. I do. I really do. I, I just, really like. He's the heart of the film. Oh, he totally is. But he he's just. Uh, I just. I just don't buy him in it. Yeah, like because right. I'm so used to Peter Cushing as being, and he's trying to put on like a, like I don't know. If, I don't know what he's putting on. Is he putting on his like his RP kind of really proper British voice that you see him in everything <laughs> in, or is he because he's like he's trying to like. Even though he lives in a swanky neighborhood, he's trying to act like the dustman. He's the hobo. He's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, what what, what I a... found was hilarious is like, do I feel sorry for him that he's had all of his dogs taken away? Because that's really sad. But you keep him in a fucking he's cage. He's keeping him in a cage the yeah, whole time. Like, you but deserve they're it. my friends. Like, who treats their friends like that? <laughs> but even the thing, like the reason he, like he reads the, the Valentine's card, you know, whatever he's blah, 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 I, but we don't like you. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I like that at all. And then the next scene, he's just hung himself. <laughs> no, like he was triggered. Yeah. <laughs> but I really like um, I like the kid. The well, he's not really a kid, and that's the that is actually the thing I found confusing mm. watching it now. And I'm, I'm pos- surely it would have been something confusing when you're watching it in 1972 or 74. Like I was like, is that the guy's son? I thought it was like, or is it his gay lover? And like they, because <laughs> yeah. they're just, you know, is it, they, there's a weird it's dynamic odd. between those two. Because I kind of thought he was a work associate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's it's weird. He's like, mm, what are you thinking? Like I've never, like I've never seen a father and son I know. talk Look, like that to each other. And we're not laying much context down for people that haven't seen it. Like, is what we're talking about now makes no sense unless you have seen it. But yeah. look, so it's a, it's a very good segment about a, a hobo that lives across the road. Rich people across the road that hate him. Yeah, like it's it's a, it's in a swanky neighborhood, and he lives in the worst house on the neighborhood. He's been there from when before it was a swanky neighborhood. Yep. And then the two guys across the road, the father and son, they want to buy his house. They yeah, they think he's he's devaluing the house property, so they come up with ways to kind of force him to move and sell. Yep. Um, <laughs> but my hands down, my favorite of all the uh, all the segments is reflection of death, the the car accident one. That. 
creeped me you out. You know who that is? Who, who the guy? No. That's it's Ian Hendry, who is uh um you know, I forgot what your eyes look like, but they're still the same. Your soul's in the snow from Get Carter. Oh my god. He's the he's the, yeah, the yeah. chauffeur guy. That, <laughs> that was that was a god awful Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> it but, wasn't it wasn't even trying to do a Michael Caine, but that's but that's a great segment. Like, it really is eerie and creepy and yeah. and a little bit violent. And it's good that they, they don't show you what he looks like for the majority of it. But and it is, but it is such a weird thing where he just one day like it's like just decides to like just leave his kids and <laughs> I know. his wife and like she has completely oblivious to any issue. Well, it must be said also like that's my favorite segment, but the one that is the most um, affecting because as a kid, it's the only one that stood out. Because I saw this movie on a, as a midnight movie when I was probably about 12, right? So that's right. where I knew it from. But Blind Alley definitely is the one that stood out, which is the one with the corridor full of razor yeah, blades. With the, red, it's, it, the funny thing is, is that that's the one to me that starts off the worst. Like I do, I do like, I a, like it and everything. It's but a slow it's, build it's too. It's a slow build. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, these, these blind people, like why are there all these blind people... And maybe that's just how they were treated, but it, you feel like you're in a retirement home rather than a home for the blind. Yeah, like they're but all... that's their issue, isn't it? That they're being treated yeah. like you know they're invalids and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. And look, it, it, it is a very slow build, and I'm watching it thinking I don't remember it being this arduous when I was a kid. Like I just I must have just been absorbed in it. But the payoff's great. The payoff is great. It's I really mean... it's it's really short, sweet, swift, and sharp. Yeah. Sharp. <laughs> I said I wouldn't do puns. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a yeah, and it is an odd thing because like you, knowing what we know now about diet, yeah, it doesn't you would it doesn't sound like your dog would become a cannibal after was it three days or whatever he's locked in. He's not they're not locked in there. You know he's (laughs) he's banging on like he's starving, and you're like, has it really been that long? Like you haven't even eaten your clothes yet. So you've got you've got this um, new um, administrator or. I don't know what you would call him. New boss. New boss of the of the blind. um, What is this place? It's a blind home. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah it's institute. A, it's a, it's a home, and yeah. he treats it like an asylum. So he deprives them of good food, gives them slop, and they keep complaining, wanting better standards. They're cold; they don't get blankets. Yeah, he turns off the heating. He does all sorts of stuff yeah. to save money. So as punishment, they lock him in a room. They lock his dog in a separate room, and then over the course of a few days to a week, they start building something, and he doesn't know what it is. And when they finally open and the he, door, they, he starves them. He starves they, them. They, they starve the dog and him. So when they open the door, he's faced with. Uh, a custom made corridor that's lined with razor blades at, and so he's at one end as he walks and at the other end they, unlo- they unleash the dog and just as he's entering the corridor of razors they flip the light switch it goes pitch black and the dog attacks and so yeah. he has he flays and just tears himself up with these razor blades and that was done in the TV show but I actually think that this version is better yeah, that's the, I haven't seen. I would like to see the TV show version. I don't remember who was in that one. Uh, I think it was a fairly well-known name. Most of those episodes had someone yeah. prominent, but um, it was better in this original. I think maybe that's just my memory of being a child and attaching myself to it. Yeah. But anyway, there's our first one, uh, Tales from the Crypt. It's but great. I did like, um, yeah, I did like. I was going to say I did like the um, the Wish You Were Here, which is their version of the Monkey's Paw. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good one. Where you know. <laughs> And the guy like literally warns of, of the very thing happening, but like in this one, it's like this guy um, owes a bunch of money, uh, and they realize they've got this statue that they bought from a like a you know, mysterious Chinese uh, you know shop in Hong Kong, and uh, it grants wishes. Like they don't realize that she kind of the first one she wishes that she had a lot of money. Yeah, and so well, her husband goes off to meet her uh, their business like their financial advisor or whatever the hell he is. 
he gets into a car accident and dies. And of course, he's got a massive life insurance policy. So she ends up with a lot of money. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then she, she, the you know, it's this great bit where she wishes him back to life. And they're like, no. <laughs> you know, they, they tell her beforehand, like, the reason that they died is still there. Yep. So, you know, and of course, by this stage, her husband's been embalmed. <laughs> he wakes up embalmed. He wakes up embalmed. <laughs> so he's got all of the embalming, like he's, which makes no sense. Like he would have had his brains pulled out of his nose and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's it's all magic, like he's mate. Got the, yeah, he's got all of the embalming fluid running. So he's just in agony and she's like, I wish he would never die. So he's just stuck like that for eternity in agony. <laughs> It is. It's a wonderful film. I do highly recommend it. It got released on a Blu-ray through Scream Factory, which is mm. what I have it on, and that's joined with uh, Vault of Horror, which was made the year later. And the same production company at this time. It was a glorious time because they made like I think five or six uh, anthology movies, all kind of like a, you could marathon them and feel like you're watching you know the same thing. Mm. You had Asylum, which was written by Robert Block, Tales that Witness Murder. Sorry, no Tales that Witness Madness. Uh, then you had From Beyond the Grave, Dr. Terror's House of Horror, and The House That Dripped Blood. And I recommend all of them. It's been a long time since I've seen them all. But yeah, love that 70s nostalgia. They're grotesque too. And a couple more before we move on. Um, I wanted to note Two Evil Eyes, which is one that Romero and Argento did together with yeah. Harvey Keitel. That's really good. Trilogy of Terror is an iconic one yeah. with uh, Karen Black. And that. Uh, funnily enough, I've only seen Trilogy of Terror 2. Yeah, I was going to say, that had a sequel. It was not yeah. very good. And her character from Trilogy of Terror popped up in another movie somewhere later down the line. It could have been a full moon movie. I don't remember. But um, yeah, cool. I reckon we're off to a good start. So, um, Tales from the Crypt is probably the perfect way and the most fitting way to, to kick off this show. Mm. What's up, everybody? It's Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Hope everyone's doing well out there. As always, I'm here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with Emily Blunt potentially starring in Christopher Nolan's next film, titled Oppenheimer. Cillian Murphy will be starring in the film, playing Robert Oppenheimer, the scientist who ran the Manhattan Project, the project that invented the atomic bomb. Deadline broke the news reporting that Emily Blunt, if cast, she's currently in negotiations, so it's looking pretty good, she'll be playing Catherine Oppenheimer, the wife of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan is also writing this film, which is based on the Pulitzer Prize winning book American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer by Kate Bird and the late Martin J. Sherwin. As of now, the Universal Pictures film will be opening on July 21st, 2023 in the US. Next up, Tiffany Haddish and Wesley Snipes are set to star in a comedy titled Back on the Strip. The film is to be led by Spence Moore II, whose credits include series AP, Bio, All American and Blackout, playing a young man named Merlin who moves to Las Vegas to pursue his dream of becoming a magician. This is after he loses the woman of his dreams, but then a wardrobe malfunction unveils his uh, gift and he's recruited to become the frontman of an infamous male group. This will be the directorial debut of Chris Spencer, who's known as the creator of Real Husbands of Hollywood and an executive producer and writer of Grownish. And speaking of Merlin, Disney has chosen the director for their live-action Merlin film, which is to be an adaptation of T.A. Barron's book series that holds King Arthur's wizardry mentor at the center of the story. Ridley Scott was once attached to this to direct, and now Deadline is reporting that director Michael Matthews has taken the helm. This will be the third feature film for Matthews, whose previous credits include the Netflix release Love and Monsters, which is quite a cool little film by the way, and Five Fingers for Marseille. Now it's still early in development for this one, so there's not too much to go on. It's going to be interesting to finally get a big screen film about Merlin specifically as most stories have focused of course on King Arthur although Merlin has been the subject on a number of TV outings. 
That about does it for me guys. As always, ScreenRealm.com for your movie and TV news. We've also got the latest trailers and giveaways. Oh, before I go, we do have a giveaway up right now. Thanks to Acorn Media, we're giving away DVD copies of Sun and Fried Barry, two Shutter horror films that are going to be released on Blu-ray and DVD in Australia on October the 20th. So we have DVD copies of those films to give away. Be sure to jump on ScreenRealm.com, go to our win page and enter. Thanks so much guys, I'll catch you next week. Would you like to dance to death? All you have to do is come to the Crypt Keeper's party. A monster bash, if you will. Come on down! The Crypt Jam 1992. There's nothing like it, man. No. <laughs> Except maybe do the Bart Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, like, can you think of any novelty songs that characters from TV shows actually released as songs? Not actors, but characters. 
Because do the Bartman, Crypt Jam, like iconic. Both have a Danny Elfman connection as well, by the way. I mean, Elvira's done it. Has has had a couple of albums. Yes, there you go. There's one. Um, although a lot of them, she it's like the TV show. She just presents other people's songs. Yeah, but she has. I've seen. There's this one with her in it, but I think it was written by the John Paragon. Well, John Paragon and Pee Wee Herman are all in it. Yep. And it's all about uh, getting fat and eating food. Ooh. Uh, it's, a, it's on. It is on YouTube. I'll look it, it up. Is, it is great, but I can't remember if they. I can't remember if in that song she's there as Elvira, or she's just <laughs> as Cassandra Peterson. Hmm. Um, all right, we'll get back on that one and maybe reveal yeah, all next good. week. Um, what do, what do um, optimistic vampires drink? I don't know if I want to know. What? Be positive. <laughs> How fucking dumb am I telling shit-ass jokes right before we have a, a chat with John Casser, master of jokes and puns, former stand-up comedian. Fucking hell. <laughs> but let's do that. Let's um, let's play my chat with John Casser. Um, I, I wanted a particularly um, special guest for our Halloween episode and I, I he was the first guy that came to mind and you can imagine how fucking excited I was when he said yes. I mean, it's because Vincent Price is dead, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no offence. No offence to John who's listening to the show. But uh, your first thought, your first, your first go to would always be Vincent Price. Right? Yeah, and I would have opened the show with... <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the Crypt Keeper himself, horror icon, yeah, you can imagine how fucking excited I was when he said yes. Amazing chat. So here it is. Hope you enjoy it. Um, Mr. John Casser, fucking hilarious too. There you go. Turn your fuck. G'day, John. Thanks for making time for me, mate. How are you? Fine, kitties. <laughs> uh, at least I don't have to ask. <laughs> We're thrilled to um to have you as part of our Halloween series of shows, mate. And um, I imagine this time of year must be absolutely nuts for you. Oh yeah, I mean you know I'm the original guy from Down Under, <laughs> six feet under. <laughs> Yeah, of course, man. You know, Halloween. I mean, it was always one of it was always my favorite horror day anyway as a kid, you know. I I was uh, completely into the uh well, I collected Tales from the Crypt comic books and for those who are uninitiated, initiated, these uh, comic books were quite controversial back in the 50s and 60s because um you know, mothers claimed that they caused uh, juvenile delinquency in children so uh they were they tried to get uh the u.s government to shut them down and i of course would hide them in my casper comics and stuff you know and um order stuff from the back of the comic books i remember having like a six foot cardboard cutout of frankenstein you know in the corner of my room i swear that thing would get closer to my bed as every time i woke up it would be a little closer that could have been my brother doing that to me but you know they didn't have they didn't have, uh, you know, d- streaming or videotape or on demand or any way to see something when you wanted to see it. So I would have to flip through the TV pages to find out what was playing that week and see if, uh, you know, the four o'clock movie called Twilight Movie in Baltimore, where I grew up, was playing any of the universal horror monster movies or, you know, the sci-fi flicks like the attack of the 50 foot woman or Mothra or, you know, 
uh, one of these great movies. And they they would play the Roger Corman movies, you know, uh, Tingler and and mm -hmm. you know the House of Wax and all these great you know Vincent Price movies and and uh, that kind of thing. So that was uh, you know, but especially the Universal horror monster movies were my favorite. So. Um, you know, when I got a chance to audition, I was doing another series for HBO on camera and they knew they wanted somebody who could do voices and be funny and, you know, also, you know, bring a personality to this character. You know, they they uh, thought of me and brought me in to, to try to bring him to life. And where did the voice come from? Like, was there a particular figure in, in your life or someone from pop culture that you that inspired it? No, I just, you know, they actually had the auditions at Kevin Yeager's studio. And for those of you who don't know, Kevin Yeager is, you know, not only made Chucky and designed Freddy and all these other, you know, creatures that he's famous for doing. Let me see if I can get this with this green screen thing. <laughs> but he was designing the puppet. And so they actually had the auditions down at the uh, at his studio. So uh, I actually, you know, I mean, I was a kid in the candy store anyway, walking into his studio with all these body parts hanging off the walls and you know and all this thing and he was he was creating this but they didn't give him much of a budget to start it was hbo was relatively new at the time and they didn't have a lot of money and so they weren't giving him a lot of money to work with and uh he was uh making this amazing puppet there was all a couple of different versions of him and he was using spare parts out of his shop you know it, it's people don't realize this but you know the crib keeper um has Chucky's eyes, yes. you know, uh, they were, and he just thought that was going to be temporary, but he loved him so much. Mm -hmm. He kept it, you know, just perfect for the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, and, awesome. uh, so, you know, um, I really based it on what I saw and the copy that they gave me, like any other part you'd audition for. And, um, you know, I think I got the material more than some of the other people who were auditioning. There were some, you know, comics that I had, had uh, like myself, that I recognized, and then some voice actors and those kind of things. And they're looking at the copy, kind of confused, going, be careful what you ask for, you may get it. They're like, this is terrible. What is this? You know, and I'm sitting there going, these guys don't get it. This is like Shakespeare to this guy, you know? <laughs> yep. Alfred Hitchcock said puns were the, you know, the highest form of alliteration, you know? And so, you know, I mean, the personality, I, I you know, I loved Alfred Hitchcock Presents as a series and his, you know, wry humor. So, I, you know, I brought that kind of attitude towards him the hosting aspects of the character and uh you know i had I, my stand-up career was kind of an interesting thing that kind of happened to me i was doing an off-broadway musical about stand-up comics um <laughs> called three guys naked from the waist down uh <laughs> it was uh, scott bacula who you all know from you know quantum leap and and uh ncis uh, new orleans mm -hmm. and all these great shows uh, played the MC kind of character, and it was me. I played like the Andy Kaufman-ish kind of character, and uh, my buddy Jerry Colker played, uh, you know, the, the you know the lawyer turned uh, left law school to become a stand-up, the angry comic, <laughs> and um, you know, think Dream Girls, but for stand-up comics. It was a musical. We played all the agents. We played all the other characters. It was really really great, and people, you know, I had been street performing when I wasn't 
when I wasn't working in the theater, which paid shit anyway. Mm. And so I kind of in, infused some of my bits that I had created when I was growing up and, and all these things. And one of my bits was I did the Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes. <laughs> and, um, you know, and while I was doing the show, these people asked me to uh, audition for Star Search, which was in its first season, which was the first, I mean, really high profile competition uh, performer show. And I said, what, as a singer? You want me to come on as a singer? Because they saw me in the musical. And they're like, no, we want you to come on as a comic. And I'm like, you know, I'm not really a stand-up comic. They go, well, you can win $100,000. They're like, fuck, have you seen my act? I was like, <laughs> you know. So I got my ass into the, you know, into the clubs. I started working up all my material. But I didn't have any jokes. Mm. So I was doing, like, my Wizard of Oz bit. And I was doing, you know, I created this idea of a, a guy who was addicted to television. He could switch channels on himself and flip through Star Trek and Scotty, be me out of here. I can't, Captain America, get up to work factory. She's going to blow. He's dead, Jim. It's a twister. It's a twister. Dorothy. You know, and I flipped through, <laughs> through all these channels. And so, um, you know, I, I, the only thing I, I guess I really plugged into that was, was maybe like the Margaret Hamilton Wicked Witch of the West laugh, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and as I was doing it for Kevin Yeager in his studio, and he didn't really have like a, a, a recording studio or anything. He just had a, like a boom box with a little lav mic attached to it that I was recording into a video, you know, into a cassette tape. <laughs> yeah. And I'm doing it for him. And he was, he must have been through everything that wasn't working because he was sitting there like this. And all of a sudden he was like, <laughs> you know, he's doing this and it's cracking me up. And I'm like, going, you know, and I start laughing at my own jokes, you know, <laughs> and adding puns. And, and he's laughing and I'm laughing. I go, great. The character laughs at his own jokes. And, uh, you know, the next thing I know, you know, because I, I I gave him that rasp because he had all these holes in his throat and rotting teeth, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, within the next day or two, he had me doing it for Joel Silver and Dick Donner, who were the biggest guys in the business, you know, Amazing. in some little trailer in some set that they were starting to shoot the show. And they were working on building the crypt, which is what you see behind mm -hmm. me. And... Um, and that kind of thing, as well as a set. And they had all these, this stuff going. And I did it for him in the trailer. He go, great, we'll see you on the set. And I was just like, you know, as an actor, you never believe it till somebody sends you a contract and you actually get the check in the mail. You know, it's like, <laughs> so, um, and that was 1988. And mm. we went on the air in 1989. And, you know, and that was, that was it. You know, the, the Crypt Keeper evolved over the years. Because, like I said, they didn't give him much you know budget mm. so like the original crypt this like this is one of the you know the refat here let me get this there we go <laughs> there we go this one uh, this uh version of the crypt keeper was a little you know further into the um you know the series where they gave him a little more money to add servos those are those little yeah. hobby motors that you you do model airplanes and stuff and spruce him up so he could talk faster and funnier but because he had such little money, like the mouth barely moved, you know, and Kevin would go into the studio to record and Kevin was like, no, no, you got to slow down because the puppeteers won't be able to keep up with you because of the mouth. And, you know, so if you look at the earlier episodes, he talks 
slower and more ominously. <laughs> <laughs> but then when we, you know, the show <clears throat> got picked up and was a bona fide hit, um, you know, they gave us uh, more money and, and Kevin spruced him up. So I was able to, uh, you know, do that stand-up delivery that I originally auditioned for him. Amazing. It's like the two of you were tossing for screen time there. <laughs> when you oh, totally. You know, like, <laughs> you know. But so uh, how this this was uh this was um gosh, even if I put it on the same plane, it it's it doesn't want to appear. <laughs> um this was the uh instead of a yeah. spreadsheet at the uh premiere of Bordello of Blood, they gave these out. Oh, amazing. They're kind of collectible. People always try to steal them from me at the conventions because <laughs> yeah. I'll use, I'll bring one with me and, and hold it up behind people. So they're being photobombed by the Crypt Keeper when I'm, you know, posing for photos with them and stuff, you know. So tell me about like recording the TV series. Did you record a bunch of episodes at once or did each episode get done in its own session? Usually each episode got done in its own session because once they got to tone of the show, even if they had already written it, they may have adjusted it to what came out, you know, mm. uh, as they were shooting. Um, it was, you know, an expensive show to shoot. So they were asking a lot of favors. I mean, all those stars and everybody worked for scale, you know, um, but these were big producers and everybody wanted to work for them. And um, Gil Adler, who was the showrunner, was really great at, at getting that show on budget and getting creative people who could do a lot with, you know, had to do a lot without money, you know? And um, so, I mean, I think maybe the most I ever recorded at a time would have been two episodes, mm -hmm. you know, they may have been, because they may have been working on two at the same time, like they would have two different camera crews and one would be prepping for the next episode while the other one was shooting. So then mm -hmm. they could just continue right into production into each show and um you know so and, and obviously they would have to shoot those as well so we would pre-record like a rock video so that the puppeteers could mm -hmm. you know i mean it took three puppeteers just to make the face move you know and, yeah and uh um you know they could coordinate together but those guys became so good we could do live interviews where they yeah. were watching me and I'd slow it down a little bit. So I'd be like, you know, and go into some of my stock answers and stuff. And the guy who was working the mouth was like, he had like a headgear on. So he'd be like, hello, kiddies. How are you? You know, and yeah. we were actually could do like live interviews as the Crypt Keeper on camera. That is cool. Very cool. Yeah. And did, it was very uh, cool. Those guys were really talented. And for those, um, like the intros and outros for the show, did you get any direction from the celebrity guest directors or did you have your own director for those? You know, it depended on who was involved and whether they had time. Mm. You know, there were things where I was on the set. Um, they'd bring me on the set to, if they had other actors in the scene with the Crypt Keeper, like Whoopi Goldberg or mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger or these kind of things, they would bring me on the set. So they had somebody live to play to off camera as opposed to just a, a video recording, you know, a recording yeah. that they had to play off of. So, um, and then if we had to adjust the timing later, we could. But um, uh, so in those sense, I got to, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, they pretty much, if I wanted to go down to the set anytime I wanted, I could. I, I, I remember wanting to go down and see Tim Curry 
um, play Winona and and the mother and father of the you know in the <laughs> death of some salesman. And my parents had happened to be in town from the East Coast, and they were they've never got to see anything shot. You know, they have no yep. concept of the Hollywood system whatsoever. They're really kind of old fashioned people that way. And um, I brought them down, and they just couldn't believe that that was that was a you know <laughs> Tim Curry yeah. doing this you know awful hunchback woman they had they did so much detail on him they even gave him like hammer toes and stuff you know jammed into these ugly earth <laughs> shoes and stuff you know and he was just brilliant i mean he was uh nominated for an emmy for that performance I and mean, he was uh, really really wonderful but such a such a unique show in terms of horror like you know there's been a lot of anthology shows since but nothing like that yeah, just incredible. I mean, they truly went out of their way to make it feel like the comic book. They even used some of the comic book frames as storyboards for the mm. shots and that kind of thing when it came down to it, you know, the art directors and stuff. But, you know, anybody who's talked about doing another version of the Tales from the Crypt that didn't involve us, um, you know, the rights reverted back to EC Comics, of course, and so we haven't been able to secure them back and do more. I, who knows if we could even afford to do the show nowadays. But I was about um, to, I was actually about to ask you that because, you know, suddenly with streaming services, there's a revival of anthology. You know, you've got, um, what is it? Creep show on shutter and even like fear street on Netflix, you know, surely the time is right. If there was going to be a revival, but I remember hearing that M night Shyamalan was trying to do it without the crypt keeper. And that just blew my mind. Like, who would, well, they wanted to, you know, they would have probably come up with their own version of the Crypt Keeper. This one is, this one is, we, you know, our guys, you know, Joel and Dick and those guys, yeah. this, they own this mm. version of him. Yeah. Although they can't use him as the Crypt Keeper because they don't own Tales from the Crypt for new material anymore. They own the stuff they made, uh, but they'd have to get the rights back from EC Comics in order to make more involving this Crypt Keeper. So obviously the Crypt Keeper was in the comic books. Mm -hmm. And so they could you know, make their own version. You know, they could put Steve Buscemi in a shroud or something and he could be the crib keeper, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the eyes for it. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, I mean, which I think would be ridiculous. But, you know, I mean, I think that the, those rights didn't work out because they were trying to do a whole block of horror with, uh, was it TNT or... Uh, TBS, uh, uh, yeah, uh, one of the, the two, TNT, I think. And, you know, I mean, you got to be the right person to do this. And everybody who was trying to do something different with it, it wouldn't have been Tales from the Crypt. It would have been yeah. called Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. But come on, it has to, it has to encompass the comic book. You have to bring the comic book to life. That's, that's really what it's about. And, you know, the Crypt Keeper was designed and was, you know, made the show successful in that his job was to let you know this is supposed to be fun, that it's tongue in cheek, that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, maybe scary and gory and, you know, edgy themes and sexual and all these things. But ultimately, it's meant to be fun, which is why we wound up with a kid's audience that we didn't know we had. Yeah. Which to this day is a larger audience than the original people who saw it, which is, you know, um, my fan base on top of the other projects that I've done, you know, the specific Tales from the Crypt fan base, you know, are kids who grew up in the 90s that, you know, either snuck down and watched it, 
their parents let them watch it because their parents were hip. There's people that are like, oh, my parents wouldn't let me watch it, but I watched it with my grandmother on the weekends. We loved it, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> a lot of kids were watched the cartoon version. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then there was other kids that were allowed to just see the Crypt Keeper sequences. I mean, what kid's going to walk by a TV, no matter how scary that puppet is, and not want to like, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, want to see it. You know, I loved ventriloquist dummies as a kid, no matter how creepy they were to other people. I have a collection of them, you know. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I love if, if I could just talk about the, the films for a moment, a piece of trivia a lot of people might not realize is that From Dust Till Dawn and The Frighteners both originally began as scripts from Tales from the Crypt. So I think yeah. that's, you know, that's a fantastic piece of trivia. But um, can you clear up something about the third one, Ritual? Were you, uh -huh. did you um record that? and was removed from it or were you brought in to shoehorn it into the franchise? It was, it was added later. Um, I mean, they had always planned on doing it as a Tales from the Crypt movie, but it was done with somebody else. The other ones were done with uh, Universal, I believe, um, Bordello of Blood and uh, the first one, Demon Knight, which Demon Knight's in my top five horror movies. I mean, it's Mate. so same same here incredible you know, the soundtrack is unbelievable that casting is unbelievable Ernest Dickerson did an amazing job with that movie and um but uh and Bordello of Blood but then they were going to make this third movie they'd always planned on it but it wound up doing it through another uh I think they were doing it with Miramax which at that time you know was was the Weinsteins and then they yeah. they they bailed on Merrimax at that point. I think it was taken over by Disney or something, but um, I can't remember. I don't quote me on any of this, uh, on that mm -hmm. aspects of it. Yep. But I do know that it got shelved. You know, it was like, it was just part of a library that went to whoever took it over. And as they eventually got around to looking at everything, they went, oh, you know, it's a horror movie. It's got Jennifer Grey. It's got Craig Sheffer. It's got Tim Curry, you know, okay. You know, it didn't have a grip keeper sequence that we shot for it yet. Mm. And so they put it with some other on a video with some other movie. I don't even think it was billed on the, on the box. I don't no. think it was called Rituals. And then there became so many people going, whatever happened to that? You know, it, I think it was originally called The Big Easy because it took place in, in New Orleans. Mm. And, you know, I mean, it was... And everybody kept going, what happened to that movie? What happened to that movie? And they were like, oh, let's, you know, it's not going to cost us much. Let's do a Crypt Keeper sequence and we'll, you know, we'll reimagine it. And they used like, they didn't want to hire the puppeteers. They didn't want to spend the money. So they got like this automated face puppet, which I was just like, <laughs> if I had known that, I would have, would have not even agreed to do it. Yeah. But it was like, I was like, are you kidding me? Come on. The quality of, of the show is one of the reasons why it's so great. It still holds up, you know? Yeah, totally. And, um, and so, you know, it wound up being, and, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, this isn't bad. This is fun. It feels like a lengthened Tales from the Crypt episode. Certainly mm. not Demon Knight. Yeah. And Bordello of Blood certainly wasn't Demon Knight either. But people, you know, people who love Tales from the Crypt love Bordello of Blood, especially yeah. young men. No, I love it. <laughs> You know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think both of those, the first two films are, are favorites of ours on this show. Like we talk about them fairly frequently for sure. Yeah. And the great, um, is it Charles Fleischer in Demon Knight? Just, oh, what a, what a legend. I love it. Yeah. Charlie <laughs> and I will go to some, we'll be invited to screenings along with Richard Donner 
and the two of us will dick off each other because we used to do improv at the at the improvisation yeah. in in LA together years ago, and we'll you know start like riffing and he's in Charlie's insane. I mean, he is. I wish I wish he would bring his podcast back. I just love the guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too. And you know, so we'll have some fun doing that every once in a while. You know, it's yeah. These- these uh screenings and that kind of thing so awesome well um we are running out of time but before i let you go on a personal note what are some of your favorite films in general horror or non-related uh well i was just having a a, um conversation last night i had over the house here one of the biggest directors uh in hollywood he's a friend of mine and i'm not going to name him because he lives a very personal life but um we were talking about um you know, how Lawrence of Arabia has always been one of my favorites. David Lean with those huge epics were, you know, always some of my favorite movies, you know, whether it was yeah. Dr. Shivago or, um, you know, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, Lawrence of Arabia or, you know, uh, I mean, these were amazing movies. Um, you know, in terms of horror movies, I mean, the ones that really creeped me out were, were stuff like, you know, The Exorcist and Omen and, mm. and movies like that. Um, certainly, I love the monster movies. Um, you know, slasher films are fun, but they don't have the gravitas of a good, of you know, of what a movie can be on top of just being a horror movie. I mean, if you if you really think about it, Jaws is a horror movie. Yeah, totally. And that's one of my favorites. And it's, a, yeah. you know, it holds up like to this day for that reason but you know i mean i love so many movies i love going to the movies uh, you know as a little kid my mom used to send you know there were five kids in my family she'd send the five of us with you know brown paper bags she'd make her own popcorn with the grease you know bleeding through the bag <laughs> and, you know get our quarter or whatever it costs to go to the movies and no i'm not that old that's just how cheap it used to be <laughs> Um, and we'd go and, you know, see a Disney animated film or something like that, which are some of my favorites, you know, I love, Mm -hmm. I work a lot for illumination and they make unbelievable movies. So, I mean, I have a wide range of movies that I love, but ultimately, um, I mean, I always, I love, always loved all the Bond films, you know, so you know, Hollywood at its best is is really what I'm looking for in a film. But at the same time, I love going to a good film festival and seeing something really personal, mm-hmm. you know, where the acting is fantastic. You Certainly. Know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John, your work is so much more than Taos and the Crypt, and I would encourage everybody to do a deep dive into your catalogue of films because it's an incredible body of work. And um, just want to thank you so much for your time. I used to stay up every night watching reruns with a mate. And, um, yeah, so it's an absolute honour for me to connect with you like this. Thank you. And be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I'm, I'm going to check that one off my bucket list. My goodness. How fun's that guy? You're just making friends with all of the, uh, with all your childhood heroes. They say never meet your heroes and you're actually, you're doing it, but it seems to be working out all right for you. He will never shake the Tales from the Crypt Association. I think that's a given, but like, if you are interested in his work, he's done loads, you know, he's like um, Mark Hamill and, you know, John DiMaggio. He's got that much animation Mel Blanc. work. Yeah, he's got so much animation. Totally. So much to look and into. that guy who's replaced Mel Blanc now. <laughs> uh, shit. Well, I know that um, 
John Cass is probably going to be listening to this. So thank you again, John. It's been a pleasure, sir. And I apologize for the jokes. <laughs> you should. Uh, speaking of, um, a ghost walks into a bar. Completely sheet-faced. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And the barman says, why the white face? <laughs> Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. It's spooky time. It's Halloween season, gentlemen. And you know what they have in the Australian outback? Uh, there's a book called The Rue. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a shout out to The Rue. If you've never read The Rue, whether you be Australian or otherwise, it's a horror novel about a kangaroo. And if you thought Cujo was bad, beware The Rue. That turns cannibal want... and eats out Weenie the Pooh. No, seriously. You, you I said Weenie. The Weenie, Weenie the Pooh. Pooh. We the poo, we the poo. Can I talk about my movie? I actually had a serious movie. Okay. Well, that's got moving pictures and Rod Mitchell in it and Sam Worthington before he became, oh, look at me. I'm in these avatars. Anyway, it's Greg McLean's Rogue. No one paid a lot of attention to it when it came out, or at least in the States. It was overshadowed by another giant crocodile picture with Orlando Jones, if you guys remember that. But Rogue is one of the best giant killer croc films I've ever saw. So I really recommend it. If you not, check it out, Rogue. I'm pretty sure there's 5 million of them over there in Australia, and they just have to watch out for them. You know, I, I'm not going to go into much detail on mine, but I was trying to think of diverse types of films you could watch. Some that are a little more comedic, uh, but still have a high body count, or some that are psychological. So I just thought I'd ramble off three. Ramble Again, I always like have to you. mention Session 9. That's not in Australia. No, I didn't say mine was. We're you not know, doing you're, Australia. You're, you're the, the one that said, I want to do Australia. I want to do crocodiles. You're trying to suck up to Ben because you won't get your connection. I want to move in with Ben, so I'm going to talk about Don't you be jelly. Look at you. Anyway, it suit you, green. But Session 9 is a slow burn. I would argue Innkeepers is another one to check out. Kind of a slow burn as well. Innkeepers is really good. Let's skip that. Maybe you're not into slow burns. Maybe you need a body count, some gore, but also want a little bit of human, uh, human humor even. James, I have to edit this fucker. Feast. Check out Feast. There you go. All right. Innkeepers Feast. Well, anyway, it's Halloween. So I need to talk about, of course, a movie that features Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, and Frankenstein, if they were three feet tall. I am talking about Deformed Monsters, a.k.a. The Creeps, written by, directed by Charlie Band, written by Neil Marshall Stevens. Dracula is played by the amazing Phil Fondacaro, if you're familiar with Ghoulies 2, Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. He is an amazing actor from the 80s. It's all about this scientist who, who pulls out these artifacts to bring the, 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 the universal monsters to life to wreak havoc and there's a there's a horrible accident and they come out as tiny little guys who still want to wreak havoc if you haven't seen it youtube it because you can't find a copy of it anywhere <laughs> i thought it was pronounced crepes and it came with uh fillings this is you don't have bonehead. any fillings what'd you say chad this has been bonehead weekly funsies funsies chad threw an absolute banger at us there the creeps the Charles Band Full Moon movie with um, Phil Fondacaro. Phil Fondacaro. I do like the creeps. I've not seen that in a long time. Um, I'm going to have to track it down again. 
But um, thank you, Boneheads. Oddly uh, less Halloween-y than I had anticipated from them. Like, they're supposed to be the kings of Halloween coming from Kentucky. Yeah, they were the birthplace. No, not the birthplace of Halloween. <laughs> it wasn't invented in Kentucky. It's KFC. <laughs> it's the birthplace of KFC. Bourbon KFC. And bourbon. <laughs> You can find the Bonehead Weekly on YouTube wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Speaking of the creeps, um, which has a... Night of the Creeps? Well, no, the, the Creeps has a kind of distinct Monster Squad feel to it. And another anthology movie is from 1981 called The Monster Club with Vincent Price, Donald Pleasance, John Carradine, Britt Eklund, Patrick McGee, again, who was in Tash and the Crypt. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the film, only to say that it's worth a look. Vincent Price actually sings the monster mash in this film. And it <laughs> kind of has this weird fucking funky disco scene that's a bit like Soul Train with Vincent Price, and that is worth it for the price of admission alone. So I haven't seen it, but last, last year we there, was, there, there actually is an anthology horror, horror documentary that um, I believe... David Gregory from Severin Entertainment made. I believe it's David Gregory who did it. Um, and we played it at Monster Fest and we played it with a anthology horror movie. Now, we played it with Night Train to Terror, <laughs> but that was over the strenuous objections by Mr. Jarrett Garn, who wanted to play Monster Club. <laughs> okay, because I was going to say, I think I recalled Jarrett talking about this film and that's what it would have been because he definitely mentioned it on the show. Yeah. And I watched it since and I liked it, but it's pretty hokey but um have you got another one we want to focus on well i could i could talk about a couple yeah go for it i, I really actually really liked like i watched a bunch of them in preparation for this show there's a couple of segments in, in like i watched the creep shows again mm-hmm. uh i mean they're pretty good they, and they've got they've i mean they've also got like ones that are stronger than the others like i really liked uh old chief woodenhead from creep show 2 well creep show 2 is let down by the fact that it's only three installments it's only three parts yeah and the other two, like, I did like The Raft. I didn't realise that the, the ginger girl in that is Daryl Hannah's sister. Oh, right. Like, that's, the uh, Raft is great. I've got a t-shirt of The Raft. Oh, I, really, I right. just love that. That's my favourite of the, the sequel. And it's such a, it's such a like, like low production value. Like yeah. Not low production value, simple. but just like a simple idea yeah. that didn't require that much. And the story's good if you if you have the anthology book um, yeah. that it's from. It's fantastic. Um, but I, I really, like, I, it was, I didn't realise watching it that it was Holt... Holt McCallany was the Indian in the in the old Chief Woodenhead, the yep. the the one who robs the store, mm. like because he's popping up in freaking everything now. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize he like I thought he was a guy who who you know like, and then and like later on it'll it'll come into play too, but like kind of like a Steve Buscemi kind of thing who only who seemed to only come into things late. Yeah, yeah, right. But then. No, he's doing stuff and he was like, you know, he's the young, good looking kind of guy with his magical hair. Uh, <laughs> it was great. And like George Kennedy, George Kennedy, I love anything with Absolutely. George Kennedy in. It's great. But um, one that I actually really liked that I um, I watched for the first time was Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Which is essentially Creepshow 3, Three, according to Tom Savini. Yeah. And it is, it is great. Like, yeah. And like, I love that. You know, in so many of these kind of anthologies and uh, stuff, Debbie Harry pops up. Like, she, yeah, you know, she just pops up in all these kind of weird stuff that you just. What's Debbie Harry? Is Christian Slater in this one too? Yes. Well, funnily enough, he's in the one with Steve Buscemi, who yeah. looks like he's about twelve years old. So, I'm guessing I don't know when this movie was made, but I'm guessing it would have been around the time as Miller's, same time as kind of Miller's Crossing. Yeah, like yeah. He's, he's like super young. 
and that's the one with and Julianne Moore is in that same episode. Wow, where he gets a mummy sent to him in the mail, and it, it comes he, like he f- discovers this scroll that lets him control the mummy. Yes, and then he kind of bumps off his uh, college rivals. Do you know what? I I was never a fan of Tales from the Dark Side, the TV show. I didn't like it. Yeah. There's only one I ever really liked, and that was the Stephen King one. Sorry, right number. But um, the movie I always did like, and it made sense when I found out that it originally was conceived as Creepshow Three, Three. and because it has that feel to it, it doesn't really have a Tales from the Dark Side feel. Yeah, I mean, this one once again, it's a, it is only three, mm. and the other the other ones. I mean, look, you get points for having William Hickey. <laughs> in your in your anthology film, and it once again he's wheelchair bound, yep. but he's always great to watch. Uh, and you know David Johansson, he's always fun. But uh, and in the third one, it's James Remar, and in a role that you don't get to see James Remar play much, which is like he plays like this kind of sensitive artist, but he's still James Remar. Yep. So that's pretty cool. And he's like you know paired with Ray Dawn Chong, who I've always had a thing for, and their their story is pretty good. Like a kind of like I, I liked I liked all of the the, the bits, but. The connecting story for this is my favorite one because it's almost like a kind of Scheherazade <laughs> type thing where slash it's Scheherazade from A Thousand and One Nights mm. meets uh, Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Because it's Debbie Harry has captured this kid, this paper boy, and locked him in, in her kitchen when she's about to cook him for this you know, dinner for her friends. <laughs> and he kind of, he keeps telling her stories to delay his inevitable uh, cooking. It's really, it's really, it's like, it's really good. And she's really good. Like she's so watchable. See, from two, two guys that you know, didn't think much of horror anthology films, we're really yeah. embracing them. Yeah. Um, have you got any more to add there? I want to throw to one in a sec. Well, look, if you, like, like I mean, there's a couple more. I don't know if yeah. you want to talk about them. So no. like I was going to talk about it. Cat's Eye, which you, which I wasn't, I thought I'd watch because I knew you were going to talk about it. Or Go for like it. originally, and I thought I just wanted because I hadn't seen it before. I'm yep. like, oh, I would just want to watch it. And Lewis Teague, it is, it is great, like, fantastic. I, I like everything about it. Yep. Like I like the although this one's funny in that the wraparound story is actually the third story. Like it's the cat, and it's the cat that connects, kind of, that connects them all. And yeah. yeah, I loved at the beginning of the thing, the cat's running away from Cujo. Yeah, I know. Like that's <laughs> a great little touch because it's Lewis Teague and it's Stephen King. Yep. Like it's really, it's really cool. Clever, What's your I, favorite one out of these? For me, I think it's Quitters Inc. Yeah, the, yeah. Look, definitely. Like, I like the general. Like, it, it reminds me of a film that we watched this year for MonsterFest, but we didn't end up programming. But I do, li- I do like the general. Yeah. But yeah, Quitters Inc. is so like, <laughs> like when James Woods, when James Woods plays likable, yeah. he is so likable. Yeah. Like he is, he's great. And I, I don't know who the guy is, but the guy who plays the. Because you know, for people who haven't seen who haven't seen uh, Cat's Eye, Quitters Inc. is James Woods goes to this place. Uh, he's recommended it by a friend because he wants to quit smoking because he's just had a I think he's just had a baby mm. or life she's, change. She's young, um, and he's and and this kind of it shows this world where people are like like this is you know I guess it's the eighties. People are full on hooked on cigarettes. Like yeah. they're smoking. It must have like New back York when you, you smoke on a plane. In yeah, a taxi, in a cinema, the whole yeah. thing, you know, and it, everything must have just stunk, and there must have been yellow stalactites of tar <laughs> coming up every every roof and every house. But he decides to quit, and what it turns out to be, the place where he goes is actually run. It's a it was run as a like a tax shelter for the mob, <laughs> and they've developed this program where um, they they you know, they use their their. Uh, so we said their money gathering skills to get you to quit. So the first, like if you, they watch you for the first month, they watch you nonstop. Yeah. And if they catch you having a cigarette, they stay, they don't torture you. They kidnap your wife 
or in this in this case, your your partner, whoever that may be, they put them in a room without their shoes, and the floor is electrified. Yep. And they <laughs> they set it off. So they they basically torture this person, mm-hmm. and then the second one, they put the kid. They'll put your kid in the thing. Yep. And it has this you know this great bit. Of course, you know James Woods when it first it always happened. Like people rarely get past the first stage uh, because it's so horrific. And then the great, the great, I don't want to spoil the end. Yeah, why not? The kicker at the end, like he's, like he's done his month and he's kicked the habit kind of thing. And uh, the guy gives him this pack of diet pills and he goes, look, we found that people do, you know, immediately after quitting, they put on weight. And like, you know, I don't want you to put on any weight. And uh, (laughs) the guy's like, oh, what are you going to do? Torture my wife if I put on two pounds? And he's like... No, we cut off her finger. And they're kind of <laughs> laughing and James Woods leaves the office pissing himself laughing and it's a great joke. And then they're having a dinner a dinner party with uh, the friend who put him onto the place. And uh, that's right. That's right. They're like, uh, you know, two, two uh, quitters ink. And they all, and then the guy, his friend's wife holds up her thing and she's missing the... <laughs> Missing a finger, it's such a good bit. Yep, it's a great film. Like it is great. Yeah, if you love anthologies and haven't seen that one, that's not really even a spoiler. That's just you know, look forward yeah. to it. Uh, I want to quickly talk about real briefly Tales from Halloween or Tales of Halloween, I should say. Um, this one's a bit of a passion project. I think Mike Mendez and uh, another female director I haven't heard of. I can't remember her name. I forgot to write it down. Um, <laughs> put it together. I but haven't, I haven't seen this one, so it is. Help you. It's a labor of love, and it's very. It's 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 as Halloween. As I think anthologies get. You had the movie Trick or Treat, right? I really like Trick Same or Treat. here, but this is more of a fanciful kind of um, fun version of that. Not quite as horrific. Uh, oh. it's, it's made up of 10 shorts. Uh, some of the standout directors here would be Neil Marshall, Mike Mendez, Lucky McGee, um, Darren Lynn Bousman, who I think uh, actually directed the most amazing segment of this film, which makes it well worthwhile. Um, like I said, similar to Trick or Treat, much more comical, but the reason to watch this, as well as some pretty cool little stories, incredible cameos. You've got Joe Dante, Stuart Gordon, Mick Garris, Lynn Shea, Barbara Crampton, John Savage, Adam Green, Caroline Williams, and loads more. Adrian Barbo. She plays the MC. Like she's Greg sort of, Grumberg, of course. Yeah, well, I was about to say, Greg Grumberg and um, Claire Kramer reprise their roles from Big Ass Spider. They're the same characters. They're the same characters. Yeah, same right. costumes as well. <laughs> and of course, you know, Greg Grumberg, I like to call Fat Keanu. Yeah. <laughs> But the best, absolute best thing in this entire film is Barry Boswick. Yeah. When Barry Boswick is good, he is beyond good. Well, look, I was going to say, look, if, we, if we're going to talk about Barry Boswick, <laughs> I just have to shout out to Megaforce, <laughs> which is such a bizarre, bizarre film. But if you like Barry Boswick, you get to see more of Barry Boswick than you ever thought possible in uh, in Megaforce. Definitely want to check Mate, out. I love Barry Boswick. Doesn't matter what he's in. It could be Teen Beach Movie. He's fantastic in it and uh, and he is fantastic in that, I must say. I have to say though, I do prefer Barry Boswick as the older... Yeah. The, kind of the older man rather than when he was like uh, the leading man. So I'll quickly tell you about this one. He plays a, a guy that's um, feared in the neighborhood. Um, you know, no one wants to trick or treat at his place. He's the spooky old man. They knock on his door. He opens it and it looks like he's in a devil's costume, like a, a demon costume. He just yep. is a demon though. Right. Right. So he's really a demon. So he only comes out on Halloween because he can. And this little kid, he's about six years old, dressed up as a little devil. You know, knocks on the door and he goes, come inside, little boy. You know, and then the next scene is the door opens and they're both walked out together. And this old demon is taking the little devil on a trick-or-treat spree. 
and it turns into a massive crime spree. And this six-year-old does all the dirty deeds, right? So this, and he's loving it. So he thinks it's make believe. It's a bit like that Satan's Little Helper movie that yeah. um, what's his face did the squirm guy. Uh, I can't remember his name, but that's okay. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. That movie's weird. Like the the stuff where she's trying to f- yes, where she's sleazing all the, anyway him and. <laughs> Digression. The daughter and the mother are sleezing over Santa. And you're like, Digression. Um, but this little devil is shooting people, stabbing people, goes on like a massive robbery spree. And Barry Boswick's there in the background going, oh, oh, oh wonderful stuff. And Darren, uh, what's his name? Darren Lynn Bauschman or whatever, the guy that made the Saw movies directed this one. And yep. it is style, substance, and all of that. And it's worth it for that alone. So if you haven't seen Tales of Halloween, check it out. And um, let's push on, uh, unless you've got something else to add there. I know you're... Jeff, Jeff Liebman. Jeff Liebman, that's it. Squirm director. Yeah, look, the only other thing, look, the only other anthology movie that I would bring up, I'm not sure if this is the last... No, we've got some more to talk oh, okay. about. All right, then I'll... Carry then, on. No, uh, then I'll... Uh, okay, well, yeah. let's throw it to Chloe. Um, in celebration of Halloween this week, I asked her to react to Fred Decker's Monster Squad, because I know she loves the Goonies and things like that, 80s adventure, and I think this is, for Halloween, it's Goonies... In Halloween mode. So totally. let's find out what she thought of it. Hello and happy Monday, friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls. And this week I was promised the viewing of my absolute favourite type of movie, an 80s adventure classic. Monster Squad was a movie that I hadn't seen before, uh, but now I can cross it off my list. I really, 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 really wanted to love this movie. I feel like it definitely had the potential to be a cult classic like my favourites, like Goonies or Stand By Me. But I feel like the director, Fred Decker, really put a lot of love into this movie and he really tried to get it there. But in my opinion, it did fall short. It was a storyline for me. I didn't feel the flow and I felt like it chopped and changed all over the place. And it was really hard for me to get sucked into the story and believe in it full-heartedly. It was also the inconsistencies. They were really distracting. And although I understand there is a certain formula when it comes to the 80s, when it comes to those kids, teen, action-adventure movies, you know, you always have the main character who's a guy and his comedic best friend, the fat guy, the rebel guy, and the ditzy blonde. But my biggest problem with this movie, and keep in mind I allowed leniency in my thoughts because I realised that Fred was made to cut down the movie to 90 minutes, but it was the character developments. Any sort of development a character had, it just happened so quickly and without real exploration or visual interpretation. And that just wasn't something that I could get behind. And, you know, I also could have done without seeing the scene where the ditzy blonde was being forced into doing something she didn't want to under exposure of her nudes that she didn't realise was being taken of her. But, you know, we're going to leave that sleeping duck lie and we're going to move on. Monster Squad also could have used some more 80s pop music, in my opinion. Maybe a little less of Dracula using dynamite. I mean, seriously, (laughs) where did this dude get all this dynamite? And his Dracula, why does he even need it? You know, apart from blowing up clubhouses and rocking his own catchphrases like meeting adjourned, (laughs) which, you know, honestly made me laugh. It was a good one. On the positive side of the spectrum, the monster costuming was absolutely brilliant. All of them. And as blasphemous as this is to say, Dracula has never really appealed to me, but the mummy and Frankenstein's monster and Swamp Thing, they were all visually seriously stunning. But I really want to appreciate Werewolf. His transformation, especially for an 80s movie, was crazy good. The effects were top-notch and something extremely positive I took out of this movie because you all know I much prefer effects 
to CGI. And although this won't end up being a favorite of mine, this movie is super creative and it is super fun. And I feel like if I had been introduced to this movie at the same age as I saw The Goonies, I think I would have really loved it. This also is a movie that I wouldn't be upset if Fred Decker ever decided to remake it. Now, all in all, I'm glad I watched something I'd never seen before, and I'm always excited to get stuck into a great piece of 80s art. And that's all from me this week with my slightly offensive and alienating opinions, but I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Have a happy Monday, friends. Well, fuck. I don't know what to say. Look, Look, I get where she's coming from, to be honest. Like, if you come into that movie late... It's like, I remember as a kid seeing the trailers and stuff and the standee at the video library and stuff like that. And it looked scary as fuck. Like it looked totally terrifying. And then if you, but if you hadn't seen it (laughs) at the right age, then you're like, oh yeah, it's a bit weird. Like it, cause it, it does play like, um, like those great kind of Disney movies, you know, with, uh, or I guess they were kind of TV movies, but the wonderful world of Disney type of stuff. Yeah. Like the. Uh, the one with Mickey Rooney where they, they Bratz, Bratz was one of them and uh, Little Spies Little Spies and uh, The Leftovers yeah like it plays like that just with a horror twist yep but um, I, this is an odd one you know she does she does um, kind of mention that um, she'd like it to see it remade yeah and I, I just wonder like do kids have the same relationship with Dracula it's a good question. And the Wolfman, and like certainly, certainly not even even after Guillermo del Toro kind of brought it back, but certainly not with Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, you know, Wolfman, like those kind of those iconic universal horror monsters are no longer. <laughs> Van Helsing I- certainly iconic. didn't do it for people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, a Wolfman with uh, um, Benicio del Toro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they that wasn't a massive hit. I actually quite liked it. But, yeah, it wasn't bad. You know, hmm. Well, anyway, it's, it's an interesting one. I don't know if 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 they could pull it off. But if you were if you were going to remake Monster Squad, right. you had to pick five iconic Universal monsters. Uh, well, not Universal monsters, just five five iconic figures in horror. Okay. So okay. So so would you? I mean, I think you'd probably believe now if it was Monster Squad and you brought back. And it wasn't based on comics. It was based on Freddy, like, Chucky. Freddy, Chucky, Jason, like those guys. And then you make friends with them and they help you solve crimes That'd or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, there's, whatever that, there's that famous t-shirt that Fright Rags do with the Kill Destroyers on the front. Like yeah. that would be a great monster squad. Yeah. That Absolutely. would be awesome. That would be a great way to modernize it if they're all made from... Damn straight. Yeah, is, is it... Instead um, of Dracula, you had line? Pinhead. Yeah. Because he'd be the master of, you know... Yeah. Oh, the one controlling them all. Once again, we're going to have to write this, Ben. <laughs> we keep coming up with these ideas yeah. and we're not we're not following through on them. Anyway, thank you, Chloe. Um Chloe is impressive. She's a mum of three and she has barely any time up her sleeve and still manages to pump that stuff out for us. But you can catch her on Wednesday night on our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. Just look up Good Movie Monday. Um her and myself just chat about stuff at ten thirty, you know, laid back. Chit chat. I'm already in bed by then. <laughs> you can watch the reruns, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Can't catch it live. You asked me to be on the show once and uh Geez, did I struggle to keep those eyelids open? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was like, uh, I was like, I'm usually I'm usually a good three hours in bed by now. So I'm currently reading um reading something new. I'm just I'm trying something new. I'm reading a book in Braille. It's horror, and I haven't finished it yet. But something bad is coming. I can feel it. <laughs> All right, I mean, so they're getting better. <laughs> 
So like, ba- it's, it's not saying much, but they're getting better. So back in 1963, Mario Bava made a great anthology film called The Black Sabbath. And um, I I made the mistake when I bought this one because I thought I was buying Black Sunday, which is another movie he did with Barbara Steele, which I was really dying to see. And I accidentally bought this one instead, but it turned out to be cool anyway. It's got Boris Karloff uh, as sort of a master of ceremonies and it's um it's got some cool segments, especially The Drop of Water. It's just a recommendation. It's not something I'm going to stop and talk about, but Troma did a good one called Chiller in the 90s. I've never seen I didn't know Troma did one. Yeah, and it's really good. It's one, I think it's, I mean, it's one they definitely branded Troma, but I'm pretty sure it was an outhouse one. It's right. one that they they sort of acquired. Dead Time Stories, uh, Theatre Bazaar, that's a pretty Theater good Bizarre. one. I think that's David Gregory again. Theatre Bazaar, it had Richard Stanley and a few others. That's a really, really edgy, hard-edge, hardcore one, which mm. I liked a lot. Uh, a couple of years ago, they did one called Holidays, which is, you know, every segment is set on a different, a different holiday. holiday. Yep. Uh, Kevin Smith is one of the directors on that. And then, of course, you had Nightmare Cinema, which is probably the most recent one, I think, other than the VHS movies. and the Yeah, the v- I guess, I, yeah. Well, the VHS, I think Nightmare Cinema was after. Like, there'd already been three VHS yeah, ones. Yeah, but they're still making but the VHS. Still, yeah. yeah, that's the, it's the latest um, yes. franchise that won't die. That's right. Um, but the one I'm going to stop and focus on is probably my favourite uh, anthology film, horror film of all time. It's From a Whisper to a Scream by legendary Jeff Burr. Directed no, in 1987. This, this was his second feature film, but a lot of his fans consider it his first film because that first one's pretty much impossible to come by. Yeah. Um, look, it's Vincent Price. is the uh, He plays an old librarian who gives a, a local reporter, played by Susan Tyrell, who you know Ooh. from Angel, from Angel, from uh, from you can With see her, mouth. you can see her norks in um, the Forbidden Zone, if you're interested. <laughs> he gives her a pre a, a brief history of their town and its sinister past. And these... sorry, I just want to just pause for a second because <laughs> you're reintroducing the word norks <laughs> to the modern vernacular. It's been a while. <laughs> It's been a while. Do you also get to see a moot? You bringing that one back as well? Norks is a little more tasteful. Yeah, yeah, moot's a ho- it's a ho- it's a horrible word. God, well, you you dragged us down there. So, anyway, <laughs> I just think we need to deserve that R eighteen thing on iTunes. Uh... <laughs> well, from a whisper to a scream is really grotesque and earns its R rating like a badge of honor. It's fantastic, and I'm. All the stories are good. Like, this is one that doesn't have a bad story as far as I'm concerned, but I wanted to stop and tell, talk about one in particular. It's called Stanley. And boy, is this full on. So, you know the actor Clue Gallagher? I do indeed. Right, fantastic. You know, Clue Gallagher? Gallagher. No, I don't have pronounced? no idea. I've yeah. always said it was Clue Gallagher. Somebody, somebody corrected me once, and I'm like, I don't care what you say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, he plays one of these sort of uh, Coke bottle glasses types of nerds, right? He's a, he's a loser. Uh, he's a mummy's boy. You know, he, he lives with his sister who he bathes naked and, you know, it's really creepy. But he can never... Is that creepy? <laughs> he can never score women, right? And there's one he's obsessed with. There's this one he's absolutely obsessed with. And one night she agrees to let him drive her home from like a dance or whatever. Right? So they're driving in the dark and they pull up and she's supposed to get out and he leans over to kiss her and, and he, she just you know, rejects him. Point blank. I'm not interested. Thanks for the lift home. That's it. Then he tries to rape her. All right. She's definitely not having a bar of that, right? So she fights Wait, him. Wait, so the, <laughs> the rape didn't turn it around. She well, wasn't like, you know what? I, wasn't, in, I wasn't into you before, wait but for now... It. Well, he kills her. Right. So he kills her in that moment. Yeah. And then the, you know, cut to um, a few nights later, 
he breaks into the mortuary and rapes her corpse. All right, so he has his way with her in a very tender, loving kind of moment. And then, you guessed it, cut to nine months later and you get baby zombie crawling out of the grave <laughs> looking for daddy. <laughs> and it's so good. And it's this animatronic baby all half decomposed looking for daddy. And the showdown... Like the baby in the Dawn of the Dead remake? Kind of. Like the showdown between daddy and baby is just spectacular. And it is such a great moment in horror history. Now, I had this idea once <laughs> for a short film where it would be... It was, it was a zombie film. But basically, it was about this, like this couple who are having sex in the back of a car, and they don't know that the zombie outbreak has happened. Mm-hmm. Like, and just at the point of uh, of orgasm, a zombie busts into the car and bites the uh, <laughs> bites the the guy. Yeah. So he what he what he chucks up her <laughs> is is zombie sperm. Yes. And then it cuts to like nine months later kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's like a <laughs> the world is in disarray. And this woman is, she, you know, she, she's, uh, she gives birth to the baby. But the baby, I don't know how, how I worked it out. But basically, the baby eats its, she doesn't give birth. The baby eats its way out yep. through her stomach. Awesome. But by doing that, she becomes a zombie. Yep, and so she's still alive, and but so then she's just walking around the gaping hole with this, yeah, with yeah. this gaping hole with the baby still like a, like a kangaroo with a with a joey oh, in the mouth. That's fantastic, and she is finding like she's finding people to feed to the baby. Yeah, it's great. Like, that's great. It's great. That's, that was the uh, yeah. Oh, it's like one of those that's Russian dolls, isn't it? Like yeah, <laughs> you pull it. Yeah, exactly. Call it, you could call it babushka. Babushka. <laughs> Get, well, uh, what if I can get Kate Bush to start? For a whisper to a scream, is it's worth it. There's some other good stories in there. I'm not going to go into them, but there's one about sort of um, slave era black magic. There's a carnival freak show in there that's fantastic, and some homicidal children during the Civil War. Got to be seen to be believed. It's 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 Jeff Burr at his best. Who I think he's probably one of the more underrated B movie directors out there. I think he mm. had the potential to be much bigger, and he just never was able to climb there. But what he made because of the man. Because of the man, Glenn. What he made was great. Like, the movies he did make were good. Um, but, yeah, this is definitely his best. And apparently, the way they got Vincent Price was they idolised him, they wrote this script, and they knocked on his door one night with a bottle of wine, knowing that he was obsessed with wine. He just let them in, read the script, said he'll do it. But then years later, the story goes that he regretted it. And um, apparently, right. like somewhere like on his deathbed or something... Um, oh, that, that's the one he mentioned. He, he tells somebody, I don't know who it was. You can look it up. It, it tells you who the person was, but he told this other actor or maybe journalist, he says, oh, my, my one regret was from a whisper to a scream, which blows my mind. I think it's because of how grotesque it became. That's really... anyway, well, he was old, from old school horror where nothing was that gross. Yeah, well, if I haven't sold it for people, yeah. then I don't know. Have you got one more before we um throw to Adam? <clears throat> yeah, look... And if you've got any more, we'll talk about them because this is our last opportunity. Well, no, look, this uh, this is pretty much my last one. And this, I do have, like, like Chloe, I have a bit of a controversial opinion about this film. <laughs> All right, lay it on me. Uh, this is 1993's Body Bags. I don't think oh. we could go uh, an episode talking about anthology horror and not mention this one. Can I say I'm not a fan? Oh, really? Not really. Don't hate it. Don't love uh, it. I love I love John Carpenter in it. Yep, he's essentially a crypt keeper. He's the crypt keeper, yep, except this time he's the morgue attendant, or or actually a inmate. Of the mortician. The mor- he's the mortician. Yeah. The bees. Yeah, is he the mortician or is he? He's a, a corpse, corpse pretending to be the mortician. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he is great, 
And the first segment, the gas station, love it. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. I just do not care for the other two. No, the Stacey Keach one shits me. I don't like the CGI. I don't even really like the idea. I like the cast. Like, it's Twiggy, David Warner, and with Debbie Harry as his nurse. <laughs> Fantastic. Stacey Keach. I do like Stacey Keach, though it's just hard to... No offense to people out there with cleft palates. <laughs> but Stacey Keach's hair lip has always... Or I just can't stop staring at yep. always. Yep. Even when he's like, you know, was super young and was playing like the kind of the the love interest hunk kind of. I just look at like, like fucking. <laughs> but um, even like um the the Mark Hamill segment, like I appreciate the story. I don't like the execution. Yeah, like I mean, and it is a, a very old you know story. Like you always hear about yeah. that. You know, the oh, I got the hand of a serial killer. Yeah, now I've got the. You know, and that kind of stuff. I do back to I, Frankenstein with the brains. With the brains, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I love Charles Napier. Yeah. Anything that Charles Napier in, I'm going to watch. <laughs> but yeah, look, I just you know, I like the wraparound. I like the first story. I could take a leave. The, the, well, the thing with the body bags is they were trying to create a new TV show like Tales from the Crypt, and this yeah. was the pilot essentially, and it just yeah. didn't get picked up. So they fashioned it into a movie. Like I think they just polished it up a little bit around the edges. Yeah. Um, and I mean that would have been interesting if it did. Land a series and would he have, would he, John Carpenter would, have been committed? Done it? Yeah, because it. Be, I mean, you kind of he's having so much fun. It kind of would have been like Alfred Hitchcock presents, yeah. and he would have embraced it. I would imagine. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I like the concept of this film. I love the title. I love the poster. I love yeah. John Carpenter. So there's plenty of stuff for me to sink my teeth into, but the stories, those second two, just don't yeah. do it for me. And the first one I like because I love an axe murder. Like any kind of gruesome axe murder story. It's so good, but it but it, just the twist. Yeah. And the whole the whole setup of it was really good and Wes Craven popping up and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff. It is just a really like if the, if if it had just ended there, if it was just a short, like a long short mm-hmm. where it was just you know the crypt keeper that if that was the episode of the show, I would have been hooked. <laughs> like they could have there could be like, you know, 12 episodes of shit after that and I would have stuck around for the next 12. Yep. Because that of the strength of that first one. Oh, well. Um, let's uh, hand the ball over to our favourite serial killer, Adam. Hey, guys. It's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week, we are doing Halloween films. Now, for me, that conjures up some ideas of fun. Horror is a very robust genre. When I used to work at the video store, I'd be like, okay, come with me, come into this section. What is gonna scare the pants off you? I loved giving scary movies to people. Now, when I think of Halloween, I think that the movie has to be equally scary and equally fun. Horror has changed over the last couple of years. A24 has brought out this new brand of horror, which, you know, it's always kind of existed, elevated genre. Look, I love it. I cannot get enough of it, but they're movies that scar, they disturb, they're thematically rich. There's symbolism, they're nasty. That's not what you want on Halloween. On Halloween, you want to shit your pants, you want to jump, you want to kind of giggle, you know, like you want that horror thing, right? And I explained this to someone once, they go, why are horror movies, why do you like it? And I said, I go, it's kind of like sex. I said, there's all this foreplay, there's all this tension, and then you get this release. And you go, oh, like this, you know, and you go home giddy on the experience. So what movie is going to give you that experience, I think, that lights out a film released in 2016 is going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. This stars Teresa Palmer as a girl who is unfortunately dealing with a family curse. And that family curse is an entity known as Diana. Now in kind of the 
horror canon, what makes Diana so terrifying and so special is Diana can only exist in the dark. So this is directed by David F. Sandberg and this is based on a short that he did. And you might've seen the short and a woman has got a lamp and she turns it on and there's nothing, she turns it off and there's something. She turns it on and there's something and it's closer. <laughs> and it keeps going like this to you and it scares the shit out of you. So he takes that concept of effectively, you're only safe in the light and he turns it into this feature. But that general concept gives him so much room to make some horror set pieces that are just straight up terrifying. So, you know, Teresa Palmer here is really effective as Rebecca, as this character, yeah, who is just, you know, constantly in some, uh, in some form of peril. She's uh, got her younger half-brother here, uh, Martin, played by Gabrielle Bateman. And together, you know, they're a good pair up against this malevolent force. But I just think that Sandberg was a director like, the minute I saw this, I'm like, this guy's on my radar. i got to watch this. And he ended up giving us Shazam, which I think is kind of pound for pound the best DC movie too as well. So if you're after some good scares this Halloween, check out Lights Out. It comes highly recommended from me. Hey, Ben. Why hey, did, Glenn. Why did the ghost cross the road? To get to the other side? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we planned that one. But, but why, was he, why was he arrested? Don't know. Possession. <laughs> it's nine tenths of the law. <laughs> That's probably a good place to end the show. Yeah. <laughs> please, please. So that whole interview with John Castle that we played before was recorded on video. So um, there's so much more to that if you watch it because that guy is animated and then some. So yeah, go and check it out. It drops tomorrow night on our social media pages, uh, YouTube, Instagram, and um, what's the other one? <laughs> Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> and Ben, of course, you're going to be back on Thursday night with Sam and myself for another Halloween-themed Lucky Dip video. Lovely. Keep going. No, there's a, there's a, no we're just, <laughs> just singing the word. There's no, there's no, there's no more lyrics. Okay, that's, that's a first. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the other voices you heard on today's show belong to Jarrett Garn, Guillermo Troncoso, Chloe Ritchie, Adam Ross, Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and... James Thomas, huge round of thanks to all of them. Almost didn't get that out. Shout out to Tia also. She's doing a great job to help us behind the scenes. We are very grateful. And folks, don't forget to visit MonsterFest website to check out the new program and purchase your tickets. Ben, um, is there like any chance of a Hobo Santa Gobby this year? There's always a chance of a Hobo Santa Gobby. Just uh, maybe a different Santa. Okay, well, thank you for the gobby today. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> that's an awful way to uh, lead into my thanks to John Kiss here. Thank you, mate. Um, once again, apologies. I <laughs> hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs> One of my favourite guests ever, without a doubt. Um, and I, I got a kick out of it, and that's all that matters. Uh, we're going to leave you with a song just to piss Chloe off. Um, this one, uh, This one's from Hoobie Halloween. And it is Happy Happy Halloween by D-Bone and the Remains. What a great name. Catch you next week. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. zombie that doesn't speak a broken bride with blood in her hair but nobody cares nobody cares the boogeyman has bugs in his teeth 
A pirate pulls a sword from its sheath. Frankenstein is out of his mind, and all I want to do is trick or treat. <laughs> On the corner, I can feel the fear getting warm. As I knock upon the door, I fall through the floor. My eyes bulge out in horror. Through the darkness, I can see a ghoulish thing, the likes of which no mortal's ever seen. He gets closer and closer. I say, No, sir, no, sir. Then he whispers, Happy Halloween. <laughs> Treat.